and they'd be like, this is the flute. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cloud Machine Podcast. My name is Matt Landry, and in this 39th episode, I'm here with Tony Rosenberg. Throughout the podcast, we discuss producing music, the sync industry, becoming an artist from a musician's perspective, Tony's origin story, growing up in Toronto, and much, much more. We also play the producer's game. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Cloud Machine Podcast. For those who are new to the podcast, Cloud Machine is about the music industry and its stakeholders, meaning everyone that works in it, lives it, loves it, and surrounds it. Our goal is to shine a light on roles, people, and realities of the music industry that are often forgotten or taken for granted. Whether you're someone that's dreaming about making a move in the industry, has some songs recorded and don't know what to do with them, or just a listener that wants to learn more, you're at the right place. This week... I have the immense pleasure of welcoming a longtime friend to the pod. We've got Tenor T, Tony Rosenberg. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. It's it, we're we're due for the pod. Ep. We're due. We're due. Um, we'll start off the app how we always start the app. Uh, your favorite live show experience as a fan. Hit me, brother. As a fan. Yes. One of the ones that comes to mind is uh, in high school, I saw Bad, Bad, Not Good. Yeah. Um, but the opener was Kei Chinata yeah. and River Tiber, River Tiber. Yeah. And I didn't know who Kei Chinata or River Tiber were at the time. And it was just super memorable. I was just blown away by the whole thing and, uh, and just the whole experience. And then the people from River Tiber came out and joined Bad, Bad, Not Good later. Kei Chinata's set was absolutely insane. And then I obviously started following from there. Mm-hmm. That was a really, really memorable one. What stood out for you? I think um I think just how long the set, like the the show felt and how it all flowed together so perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like the opening band, then joining the headlining band on like brass instruments. Right. Like the whole River Tiber band came out on brass instruments and joined Bad by Not Good, which was crazy. Hation on his set, like in the moment, it felt super long, not like too long, but just everything he's playing was insane. Um, I think it was like around 2013 or 2014. Yeah. And I just had no idea who he was. And then going on YouTube later and just like discovering, you know, all those videos of his DJ sets. And then realizing how huge he is and a star of a DJ he is in himself. And Mm -hmm. just, I always look back at like, it's crazy. I saw him not knowing who he was. I was like, (laughs) who's this DJ? This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So just like a really cool experience. And that's what like live shows are all about. Yeah, yeah. Discovering yeah. some new artists, yeah. And then whoever, you know, put the bill together was really smart, too. It yeah, just yeah. flowed perfectly. Do you think with a band like Bad, Bad, Not Good, they would have influence on, like, choosing those people? I think so. I imagine they were all just buddies. Yeah, yeah. I imagine, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, who yeah. should we get to tour with? Just our, our friends, I would yeah, assume. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We even just... In, in recent tours, like, <laughs> there's some artists that I've toured with that sometimes they, they get to choose who they tour with or, you know, sometimes they don't get to choose who they yeah, tour yeah. with. And, 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 of course, you'd love to have your friends, but sometimes it's not in the budget or anything like that, you know. Totally. So, um But, yeah, no, that's, that sounds that sounds great. And, of course, like, both Catronada and Bad, Bad, Not Good are now, like, 10 years later, some of the bigger absolutely bigger names, at least from Canada, but even Catronada himself. Um, Huge DJ, probably one of the world's better known DJs now, and Bad Bad. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could probably speak to this more than I could, but they're just they've just taken Toronto sort of by storm now. Massive, yeah. Like most music festivals have both of them, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. Know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What about as a uh, as a as an artist, as a as a musician? Do you have like a do you have a performance that stands out that you sort of remember yourself? Yeah, that's a good question too. I think um, some of the ones I remember really well are I was in a horn section of like a gospel gig around Christmas time. Yeah, and there was like around like an eighty or hundred person choir, and just like you know the rehearsals and the performances were all just ridiculous. Like it was just like obviously like a hired horn player, yeah, opposed to an artistry gig, like something super artistic. But it was just super memorable and just like you really just like felt the energy in the room and mm-hmm. just a great band too, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Other than that, like most most memorable gigs for me are still like just playing horn for like other people. Yeah, like yeah. like jobber gigs um, on like the roof of the TIFF building in the summer, or like you know I remember some of those and they're just super fun. Yeah. Um, in middle school, I played at Massey Hall twice, <laughs> yeah. which is I still remember just being like, oh, there's a lot of people here, right, right, you know. So, but I was so young. In what context? It was this band where um, like a couple kids from every middle school got to like leave school to go rehearse and then join this like larger orchestra, right, and then. Uh, we rehearsed, like, once a week. We, like, missed a day of school once a week and then performed at Massey Hall in May. <laughs> yeah. And this was just, like, Toronto-based kind of thing? Like, Yeah, I think it was, like, the Toronto District School Board. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Very nice. Um, let's move on now to part two of this sort of intro. Here we have Erica Badu's quote. The listeners know it. Uh, music and music business are two different things. Now getting into, the like, the, the whole music business part of things. Um what are your first instincts when I say that? Erica Badu says music and music business are two different things. It's extremely true. Yeah, I, yeah. I think at least. Obviously, um, it's a you know it's her opinion and it's my opinion or other people's opinions or not. But I think it really rings true. I think I think they're very unrelated. Mm-hmm. Music, what it is like, creating music, listening to music, enjoying music, and the music business, the art of. Or like the business of selling the commodity of music, mm-hmm. um, they have almost nothing to do with each other. I find, in my experience, yeah, yeah. You know, do you find that in twenty twenty three, there, like a lot of people are associating the both like together, like more and more now. Like I, I find like artists have, need to now have the sense of business, sort of even in their, you know, in their art. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think artists now are much more business savvy because of the internet. I mean, that's nothing yeah, yeah. new, but um, just the technology constantly changing, social media also, none of this is anything new, yeah. but, you know, are more and more business savvy and thinking more about that opposed to an era where it was, you're just going to create and then this machine behind you is just going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not really in that era anymore. And I think, um, you know, really interesting, interesting not that like commercial music isn't interesting but really esoteric music or something and then you know the music business they're very far apart so the really successful people are able to balance it whether it's like 50 50 or maybe more extreme like 90 10 yeah or something like that you know yeah what do you think it's different of course when you were talking about music creation and just the art of music it is still an art form but now, when you become deemed a professional artist, you have to have to think about that 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 business um, sort of part of it. Absolutely. Um, I don't know what the percentage is, you know. Yeah and, yeah. and I've talked about that a couple times as well in regards to like what is the percentage of sort of even like a week in a week time, mm. like how how much do you think about your music, uh, and how much do you think about the business side of it, and 
there are months of the year or periods in the year, seasons, that it might be different percentages. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself? Do you, where do you find yourself in the music business sort of sphere now? Yeah, I find, like, I go through phases of way more business than art and creativity than I would like. Right. You know, but there's nothing wrong with that. Like, they all have yeah. to live together. And then I try and go through phases where I'm just going to, like, be creative and, like, get that muscle going. Because mm-hmm. creativity is a muscle. Um, or it's not actually a muscle. But it's, like, a thing in your brain you have to work. If you don't constantly create mm-hmm. most days, you will slowly lose that that swift, like, quick ability to, you know, think on your feet and be creative and problem solve. And all the things that being creative is, uh, it involves a lot of, thinking outside the box and trying new things. Yeah. And if you haven't created in a little while, um, at least for me in music, then you're, you slowly get back into it. Mm-hmm. But I'd say, yeah, some weeks um, it's like 90% business because I'm just like scheduling, organizing, yeah. like doing you know music artwork, like single artwork or like, you know, registering everything on like various platforms, whether it's like SoCan or like sick agencies or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it can take a long time because I do it myself. Um, but then I, I do try and go through phases where it's like 90-10 the other way. or even, yeah. And I try to go through phases where it's 50-50. But I'd say, you know, I have weeks where it's like 90% business. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like uh, things that you do to get into that sort of creativity cycle? Is, is, or is it just like, okay, we'll do it one day and then the next and the next. And eventually that muscle that we're talking about is more sort of, um, you know, you can use it as you'd like. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question too. I think, um, like, going that first maybe you haven't had time to like really have a long creative personal like self discovery session. Not that every session is like that. Yeah, but it's a session where you spend time being creative. If you haven't had time like that in a while, just don't be hard on yourself that first one. Mm, just do it. Yeah. You know, if you get tired or like what you're making you really don't like for whatever reason, or you're distracted, or you just can't focus. Just don't be hard on yourself and just do something else after a little bit. Come back to it. It might take, and usually I find, because I found earlier on in this journey, if I took a break and then went back, I'd be hard on myself for not being as, you know, comfortable being creative as I was a couple of days prior or a week prior or however mm-hmm. many, however long prior. And then that would just like derail things even longer. But you just kind of got to go into it knowing like, you know, almost like an exercise or a practice, like people use, you know, the word practice to describe like their yoga or like, you know, or exercise people, you know, if you haven't been in the gym in a while because you went on vacation, you can't just go back to where you just were. Yeah, yeah. You just got to move like accordingly and just don't be hard on yourself because um, nothing good creates creatively is going to come from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your creative process? Let's say you did go on vacation. Let's say you went to, I don't know, Italy. I know you love going to Italy. Um, what, what could like that cycle be like on the way back? Like, do you just find like, okay, let's just do like a draft of an idea. Um, like what, what, what's that process like for you? Yeah. I think there's a bit of like forcing myself to sit down cause it's been so long. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. And like, just being like, I'm going to sit down, maybe setting a timer. If I'm feeling like really restless, like I know there's a lot of, um, you know, evidence that like setting like a timer for doing work where you're just off your phone and like you have all your no- notifications turned off is really beneficial. You know, I play with stuff like that. I'm not, like, committed to that type of workflow. Yeah. But if I feel like I need it, I'll see how that goes. And then also, like, trying to find inspiration from other things, whether it's just, like, going out in nature or, like, visual art or even, like, TV and movies. Yeah, just yeah, trying yeah. to find inspiration from other things. Um, 
or other kinds of music. Because um, if I come back from maybe a break and I'm like, like hitting myself over the head with like the same music I was listening to before the break, mm-hmm. like you know something's changed slightly. So maybe just like listen to something completely different. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, and just uh, just expose yourself to more stuff, whether it's like art, different or like different types of art or nature, or um, or different techniques to like force yourself to sit down. Not that you should have to like force yourself to be creative, but you kind of gotta like just push yourself to spend some time there. Yeah. Going back to the music industry, just in general, yeah. um, where do you think it's going? Like, I, I mean, I know it's like a huge question, yeah, uh, and we can't really necessarily predict anything. But like, of course, now we're in the age of like social media, TikTok, whatever, small, quick content, all these things. Um, I personally feel like albums, you know, might be push, making a push, making a mm. comeback. Um, where do you think it's at now, and where do you think it's going? That's cool. Albums. Yeah, I think um, where it's at now, we're in a we're in a funny era right now with like social media and, you know, being a content creator is like in line with music marketing. Yeah, um, we're, we're in that era right now. And we're also in like, you know, we've been in like a DIY era right now. Like we're still in that like, you know, things are so accessible. You could do it a lot yourself. You could upload it yourself. You could like, you know, get a DAW going on your computer yourself. Like it's all really accessible. But we're also in, um, like, a 0.001% era right now. And what I mean by that is, like, how much, like, Taylor Swift and Beyonce tickets go for. You know what I mean? We're in an era where you could be, like, really creative and, you know, maybe, you know, sell, like, really intimate uh, experiences in your backyard as gigs or, like, I don't know what NFTs are doing lately, but, like, that was a thing for a while where people were making a lot of money independently or financing their career independently. But then I think... There's also the point oh oh one, which is like Taylor Swift and Beyonce, who you know deserve like all the accolades and awards and everything they get. They deserve. They're amazing yeah. artists. But it's interesting. Like five hundred dollars for a concert ticket for them is less money for the fans going to smaller artists. Yeah, I've been thinking about that ever since I saw the concert tickets. Like, I was. I just think like, oh, like you know, if you have five hundred dollars, that could be like. You know, to me, like, when I was, like, you know, going to concerts a lot, when people were coming to Toronto a lot, I'm very lucky I got to see, that would be, that would be like, way more than a year in really good concerts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. one concert would be, like, 25 bucks. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it would be, like, stacked of, like, sick rappers and DJs. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't really compare the artists I mentioned to, like, the people that would roll through Toronto when I was in high school. But it's something I think about. I think, I, I wonder what's going to happen, like, point oh oh one how expensive those concert tickets are yeah um but then at the same time like there's really cool like independent artists who are um selling like you know like lifetime passes to their concerts and like doing like backyard shows and like nfts or maybe not nfts but things like that like selling like some sort of like experience yeah like an online exclusivity thing. exclusivity yeah, yeah, yeah yes yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. the word i was going for like some exclusivity and they're making you know they're able to like generate a lot of income in a short period of time yes because um, there's so much hype around what they're doing and it's almost treating it like a sneaker drop or like a clothing drop. It, it feels like that to me where it's like there's only 200 made or yes. something, you know? So, um, we're, you know, we're still in like the content creator era. We're in the era of how to market your music on TikTok, like YouTube videos. <laughs> yes. we're, in, we're in that era yeah, yeah. and like whatever social media is coming next, like we're going to be in that era. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot about how polar opposite those two things I described are. 
like the five hundred dollar concert tickets. I don't know if that's actually the number. I actually don't know. Yeah, how, how much like, is it around that much? Well, it depends on the gig. Right, right. <laughs> I know some Taylor Swift fans have spent thousands of dollars. Thousands. Yeah, it's like it's stupid. True. Okay, yeah. that that even proves the point even more. Yeah, that's like to me is like multiple years of going to shows. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, so you'd have less money to go see, like also like you know really like professional amazing artists who might roll through your town every week. Go get a festival pass for like two hundred bucks right. for a weekend and right. see, honestly, some of these some of these artists as well. Yeah, um, that are, that are that have those tickets for five hundred dollars, whatever. Like a Billie Eilish, yeah, you could yeah. go see her at an Oceaga or a Kendrick. Rather, yeah, you could go. You could spend four hundred bucks on an Oceaga pass for the weekend, or spend four hundred bucks at a Kendrick Lamar concert at Scotiabank. Yeah, but you're seeing at at at, at Oshie, you're seeing. 60 other artists. A lot more. And it's a huge experience, right? You're there. You have to travel to get there. Yeah. You know, you're in a new place. You're seeing all these people. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think about that a lot lately. And I think about, like, um, I see, like, Live Nation, like, giving merch money back to um, yes. to the artists and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe there's going to be people, like, lobbying for new things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, that's only, like, the tip of the iceberg. So that's all, like, a really good sign, too. Mm-hmm. Where do you think it's going? Or do I think it's going? Yeah. If, if you had to guess, like, of course, with new social medias, it, we don't really know. Yeah. Is there, thing, is there something on your mind that's like, okay, this would be cool if this happened or this, you know, this is coming and, and you don't like it kind of thing? I think the exclusivity thing is going to be more. Yeah. I think we're going to go more in that direction, I think. Because yeah. you've even talked about, um, like, Charlie XCX's, like, exclusive Instagram, yeah. you know, which is, like, a micro version of what we're talking about. Yeah. But it's, I think that's going to be more and more, because, you know, like, um, I guess people want what they can't have, so it's, like, at first, like, you had to, like, buy music physically, and then mm-hmm. you could download it, and now you pay streaming for every song that's ever been released. Yes. And now it's exclusive. And I think, like, you know, you're talking about albums coming back. I, yeah, I totally believe that, like, conceptual projects yes. coming back yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. maybe things like that this is like perhaps idealistic thoughts as an artist but mm-hmm. I, but i could see it going that direction for the people who are artists ideal fans consumers clients like obviously there's always going to be people who just listen to like top 40 in the gym and like shout out to those people Yo, you know? shout out. yeah like like we need those people it's like there's, <laughs> yeah. there's always going to be people who just like oh music i love music yeah yeah, yeah. you know so yeah. Moving on to um, the origin story. Tony Rosenberg, I know there wasn't much of an introduction, um, but uh, tell us, tell the people um, where you're from. I'm from here. I'm from Toronto. And, and <laughs> Shout I, out. And I've lived here my whole life. That's great. How was your, um, what was like your musical upbringing? Like what was the, was the family musical? I know you have some, uh, you have a brother as well. Like what was the, what was the music like in the family? Yeah, we all we all liked music. Um, like my parents both really liked music and were fans of music and like very different genres. Um, my dad like really liked you know like jazz and like you know old soul and Motown and doo wop and like a lot of uh, music from around the world, whether it's like Portuguese or Brazilian or you know African music or um, all sorts of like music from all sorts of different countries. And then yeah. my mom. Um, was really into like you know like Beatles and Beach Boys and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, stuff like that, um, and my brother kind of like took like both those influences further by like going on the internet when we were kids and like finding like full 
um, you know, albums or discographies of like these jazz artists mm-hmm. or of like some more like classic rock or like rock artists from that era. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, but my friends were listening to hip hop. Right. Like that was like the cool music right, to listen right, to. Right. So um, at a pretty young age, like I, I was like interested in jazz. Yeah. I like, you know, liked some of my mom's music. Um, and I also liked hip hop because mm-hmm. that's what I listened to like socially. So it was, it was pretty diverse really fast, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, like my mom uh, like can play piano and like, and we had a piano in the house and like I started playing quite young. Yeah. 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 Do you remember? Do you remember some of those moments that are like, oh my gosh, like differentiating jazz versus hip hop, or do you remember like the moment where you're like, oh my gosh, this is hip hop, mm. or this is rap, or like, do you remember like being like, okay, this is this thing, and then this is that thing? That that's an interesting question, and I actually do, and I haven't thought about it until you ask because as a kid, I think um, it was very clear that they were very different. Yeah, like even like in the car. Yeah, like it was like yeah. like you know someone would get tired of like the other person's music, right? Right, right. And like just being aware of that. Also, um, um, as a kid, I used to go to these like kids' days at the TSO, like Roy Thompson Hall, yeah. where they'd play like Peter and the Wolf or like stuff like that, right? And they'd be like, "This is the flute," or, like <laughs> sure, "This is the violin," and they like you know they do little kids things like that, right? Which you know I'm thinking about now it was like such a cool experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like, even from a young age, I was able to, like, pick apart what was different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think, like, with hip-hop, it was like, oh, yeah, no one in my family liked it. You sure, know what I mean? Sure, so that, sure. that was, like, the clearest thing where it was like, oh, yeah, like, this is completely different. Right. My immediate family. No one of my, like, brother or parents liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that age when I got into it. Uh, do you remember, like, the first, like, moment? Do you remember the first, like... Maybe maybe not the first, but yeah. do you remember? Is there a moment where you're like, "Okay, I'm into this," or like, your friend passed you this or shared with you mm. like a, a album or something, mm. or like for me, it was it was all like pretty much through sports, really. Sports. Um, that I discovered so so many other things in music. Um, was was there a moment or even like a, a record that was like marked like the beginning of? Just discovering more music. Like from Friends. From Friends? or yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like from Friends, it was either, it might have been DMX, which is really funny. <laughs> yes. Like it might have been DMX, but also might have been like Lupe Fiasco. Yeah. And Moe's Def. Sure, yeah, Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it might have been stuff like that. That's, that's really cool. I can't remember what was first, yeah. yeah. And then I think, yeah, my brother, like if, my, if our dad like showed us like a jazz musician, my brother would find like a whole album on the internet. Yeah. Um, or even like multiple albums on the internet. And then, um, and so he was like, they were, like my brother was like really instrumental in like sharing like vast quantities of music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, my friends. I, yeah, I don't know what was first. Like I, I'm trying to remember, but mm-hmm. I feel like it was like, you know, maybe DMX, but maybe it was like Lupe Fiasco, maybe some <laughs> Mos Def, like cool. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first time I even like go down this alley with with a guest. But do you remember? I mean, jazz hip-hop, rap, a lot of blues stuff is definitely derived from just a lot of just black culture in, in America. Yeah. Um, and now in, like, I would say in the, over the last, like, 10 to 15 years, there's been really an am- amalgamation of so many of these genres to now create just new genres. And some of my favorite artists, and I know we've talked to, to this so many times, um, but, like, 
now we're getting artists such as like uh, Robert Glasper, mm-hmm. who are really defining the intersectionality between rap, hip hop, jazz, and and we're getting. I, I feel like we're getting more of that, and not to say that we we never did, but. We're seeing that at the forefront of a lot of just music movements, and it's it's for me it's now easy to um, say like okay, like this 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 neo soul jazz situation, like it's I feel like it's easier for me to now be like okay these are the major players in this new genre. Mm-hmm. The question is, did you ever like as a kid even just discovering both jazz and hip hop? Yes, have some influence of the both that turned into something like oh, a love yes. for Robert Glasper's music or even like a bad, bad, not good or oh, like yes. something like that. Like, okay. Yeah. Great question. And like 100%. Yeah. Um, I think like, just like, you know, you're listening, like, listen, like understanding that like quest love was like playing like, you know, Dilla grooves, like on the drums yeah. or like, you know, Robert Glasper, you know, these people are, he's like a jazz pianist or like, you know, can play like jazz. Yeah. And he's like taking like, you know, and, like, playing, like, Dilla songs, maybe, like, Namad Jamal sample, and, like, stretching that out. Yeah. And it's just this really cool of, like, um, thing of, like, you know, music being sampled, turned into hip-hop, interpreted by jazz musicians, and it's just, like, this weird, like, spirally loop. Not even weird, it's it's amazing. And I think, yeah, as a kid, um, um, like, I used to, like, play my saxophone along to, like, hip-hop records because it was just, like, you know, like, like a one bar loop or like a really simple loop and it was just like one chord. And like obviously it wasn't until like years later you kinda understand how to improvise over one chord. But I just like I liked the music. I'd hear a saxophone sample and I would just solo the whole time because I didn't know how to practice. <laughs> sure. Like I was like, you know, super young. Um and um and also like uh um there's like a gangstar song for a Spike Lee movie but like jazz thing. And I remember being like really young and just like not understanding the song, not even understanding that it was from like a Spike Lee movie, but just hearing like guru, like guru from gangster, like rap about all these jazz musicians. Like I didn't really get it. Right. You know? But then it wasn't until like, I kind of like went on the internet and like looked it up. Cause I was probably like around like 12 when I like heard this, you know, and I didn't, and I didn't understand it. And this is music from like way before my time. I just yeah. liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and just, like, understanding the connection. And then understanding that, like, you know, Wu-Tang samples are Thelonious Monk records. Like, all this stuff. Like, it's it's always been extremely cool to me. Or, like, listening to Common and hearing Ahmad Jamal. Like, I could go on all day. Yeah, You know, yeah. I could go on all day. Um, and just, yeah, like, understanding that thought process of, like, taking, you know, something from a record, turning it into this new genre, but then as someone who likes playing instruments and is also inspired by the genre that was sampled, re- reimagining that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's the era we're in. Like, um, obviously, like, Robert Glasper and, like, so many more, like, fantastic instrumentalists, whether they're interpreting or they're writing their own stuff. And it's just expanding and expanding and expanding. And, yeah, like, I remember thinking, like, Bad, Bad, Not Good playing Electric Relaxation was, like, the coolest thing, you know, <laughs> right, like, right. on YouTube. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I was, like, in grade, like, 9 or 10 or something. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, like, these are, like, you know, I, I didn't listen to a type called Quest, like, these are chords, and this is an upright bass. Right. But then, like, seeing that and, like, kind of growing up and understanding that, just understanding the connection. Mm-hmm. How have, how has that discovery, like, sort of influenced your process today? It's, it's huge. I think, um, I think 
if I really want to like hit my influences on the head, I want to combine some element of both. Yes. You know, if I really want to. And it's not not every endeavor is about like like wearing your influences on your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um you know, you want but you also want to like use your taste to your advantage. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what what you know, being an artist or a producer or a creative person is like your taste. Yeah. So I try to yeah, I try to like, you know, program drums like improvised uh instrument in- instruments mm-hmm. or perhaps the other way around i don't know you know but just like combining both and like um and not being not being too married to like this has to be like a live take with like no edits yeah and, you know just like like um like it's all flexible you know you could like play drums you could chop them up you could play keys you could chop it up you could leave it as a full take you could not you could change the pitch, like who cares? Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, it's all very flexible, and it's because, like, as much as I'm inspired by, you know, like composers and like jazz writers and all that, I'm also inspired by, like, DJs and like beat makers and people on on the MPC or just like people who make cool music now, who like can play instruments but still might chop it up because you know at the end of the day that has a specific emotion or a spe- specific feeling, mm-hmm. and um, and it's not about like. Oh, being like, oh, I played this all perfectly in one take. It's about like, how does it make you feel? That's the episode, everybody. <laughs> all right, thanks for having me, Matt Landry. <laughs> uh, no, I I completely back that. I mean, it, the process is one thing, but the way it makes you feel is a whole other thing. Yeah, and taking influence from both more of the more improv sort of world of jazz and also taking a more edit sort of approach um or maybe not maybe not edit but more of a perfecting approach to sound i think is 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 great to do both and not not that improv is not perfect but uh it's different processes yeah like leaving room for like natural human elements of um improv but also like you know, trying to chop something up and, like, it doesn't sound the way you thought it would in your head, but it sounds really cool, so you keep it in the song. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. just keeping, like, all that creative, like, momentum going mm-hmm. is, like, a huge part of how I like to create. Yeah. What was the arts and culture growing up? Like, you say, you know, you discovered a lot of music through your friends, um, but just even in school, like, what was the, what was the the culture of being sort of, like, interested in music in your in, in high school, but also just... In Toronto as well. Yeah, I think um, in Toronto versus high school, I think, like, I really had to seek it out to get it from Toronto. Like, there's a lot happening, a lot of people coming to Toronto. Yeah. Um, in high school, like, there was a... I didn't go to, like, an arts high school. There was a band class. Sure. And we played, like, concert band music. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, like, a good fit for, like, a tenor saxophone player. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, just because, like... Um, it's just, you know, that music is, like, really good for most of the other instruments in the yeah, band. Sure. Um, in fact, like, a lot of the music we played, like, wasn't written with tenor saxophone parts. Right. You know, and so it just wasn't the greatest fit. There was, like, some jazz at the high school, still not, like, the greatest fit. It was, um, but, you know, there were some other musicians at high school who I, like, played in a rock band with and, like, mess around with and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that. But then when it came to... Like growing up in Toronto, yeah, 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 which is really like, like I said, I feel like I had to seek it out. Mm-hmm. I think there was just so much stuff to do. Like even like 
you know, at a young age, like free concerts at Young and Dundas, like um, like a lot of free concerts. I feel like back in the day, I would see like amazing free concerts. And, yeah. Um, and then in terms of like learning more about music and um, and like getting lessons, like I also had to like seek that out like very far away from my high school. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. sure. Um, I, I, yeah, I was just always fascinated by just like just going out and just seeing some concerts, you know. Yeah, Which like great. Yeah, like all ages shows when you're like in high school and like you're like, you know, like at Queen and Spadina or something. You know, sure, it's like this yeah. is like when you're like fourteen or fifteen or like young and Dundas. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you're like, um, you know, it's, it's funny like looking back now, like, you know, as an adult, you have a completely different, a young adult, yeah, you know, a completely different appreciation of the city. But like as a kid, it's just like, oh yeah, we'll just like take the subway right there, and get out. It's just going to be, like, some crazy event going on. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, Nuit Blanche or, like, whatever it is, like, North by Northeast or, like, yes. all these things that, at the time, I almost feel like they were, like, really, like, geared towards, like, younger kids because they were, um, like, maybe during the day or they were, like, right. all-ages events, you know what I mean? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, we couldn't go to a lot. Like, I remember, like, I'm just having a random flashback of, like, getting tickets to, like, young Dirty Bastard, like, old Dirty Bastard's <laughs> son. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, <laughs> it was 19 plus, so I called someone I knew, right. and I just gave him the tickets. Sure, You know sure, what I sure, mean? Sure. Like, because um, we couldn't go to things like that. But mm-hmm. there was just so much, like, other, like, you know, things to, like, go find. Yeah, accessible to also younger ages. Yeah, People I, I of, think, of a younger age. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. What, how has your perspective of Toronto now changed from, let's say, a teenager trying to go to these shows and having access to these shows to now a young adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. I, when I say adult, I just feel like, oh my God. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, know, I know how you feel. Yeah. Um, how has how that perspective, even just in the music sort of uh, world, how has that changed for you? Or has it changed? Is it similar? I think I think it, it's inevitably changed. I think, like, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's hard for me to go to a venue now where I don't have, like, like a like a flood of memories, you know. It's just like, oh, I remember like doing this, and like this was stupid, and like I did this before, and I was with these people, right. and it's like a lot of those are like most venues in Toronto. Right. So I think it's like, um, and I think like, um, from you know going from like playing as a saxophone player in a lot of bands to like now doing my own thing, like towards you know f- mostly and only playing in bands. Mm-hmm. I think like the mysteriousness of like being that teenage kid. And Toronto like wore off from playing at like these venues like a million times, um, as like a as like a sax player in someone's band, mm-hmm. where you realize like oh yeah like you know, um, like you know this element was chaotic or like this you know like little blip happened as like you know live shows. So it's all about like you know put you know fixing little things totally. in the moment. But yeah, I think a lot of like the mysteriousness of it all um, at times like wears out and then. And then you also try and be like, not let that, not let that emotion happen because mm-hmm. who wants to be around that guy? I don't even want to be around that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so totally. Um, you say, uh, like going from sort of being in a band or being sort of a backing musician for somebody to yeah. now your own project. If yeah. I'm going into topic two here, was now becoming an artist from mm. the musician's perspective. Can you tell me about your journey going from more of a sax, no, being known as a sax player primarily, yeah. and now going to to being more of a solo artist? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like 
Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot I could say here. I think. <laughs> I think like. I think like subconsciously or consciously, whatever it was, I always saw myself as an artist. Like I'm creating art. Yeah. And then, um, but it wasn't until like I was meeting people as a sax player on gigs or school or otherwise that was like, um, oh, like you're a sax player. Right. So I remember like being around 17 or 18 and like meeting like other people who make music and like being told like, it's like, oh, like let's get in the studio. Like I play keys, like whatever, let's write music. Like I've always been interested in people who wrote music. Um, but I was like too young to articulate myself and like, you know, like understand like what steps have to be done. Um, I remember like being told like, oh yeah, we'll let you know when we need a sax player. Like being told that by like yeah. multiple people. And me thinking like, like, dude, like, I play sax. Like, a lot of bands do not need sax players. Like, that's just, like, the fact. Like, a lot of bands do not need, like, an extra horn player. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, unf- like, an unfortunate fact. Or a good fact, depending on how you look at it. Niche gigs versus, like, you know, a huge pool of gigs. Like, where do you fit yourself into? Yeah, yeah. So that's a whole other little micro topic we could get into. <laughs> but, um, and I think, like, like, inevitably, like, that was annoying because... I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to be creative and be creative with people. Yeah. But I kept getting called to play gigs on saxophone for other people as a backing person. And then eventually, after playing like a lot of like fun gigs, whether they were jobbers or artist gigs or rock bands or pop bands, like R&B, whatever, eventually, um, I just had like a conversation with myself, which was like, like, what is the goal? Like, I've devoted a lot of time into this. <laughs> um very committed to this mm-hmm. like you know i still feel like very um you know like young in the sense like like it could go in either direction yes of course um and this was a couple years ago now but and i just thought like you know for me like i want to share music with people i want to be a band leader i want to write music mm-hmm. like all as much as i just i think i i struggle with the idea of like just being considered a saxophone player even though it is my gigging instrument when i go play like jobbing gigs or whatever because I was more inspired by like the people who wrote the jazz songs that people were soloing over yeah than the solos and as I sort of realized that it became super clear like it became super duper clear what we had to do now you know and I think I was just being like you know pigeonholed and I was like gigging like I was working as a like a saxophone player like that's a good problem to have Mm -hmm. you know so it's not like and I didn't really have a moment to breathe and think about it Mm -hmm. but I was way more inspired by Duke Ellington and Count Basie and like George Gershwin all these people who wrote the songs that I was like learning the solos over and then I was also inspired by people who like left a mark you know I was like much more inspired by that although a lot of session musicians and horn players like have left or mostly like jazz instrumentalists uh, have left a mark (laughs) In the past, I think, like, you know, the era I felt in Toronto was that it was, I was just, like, becoming, like, a session player or, like, a band member. Yeah. And um, I did not feel like I was leaving a mark at all. Like, I just didn't feel, I didn't feel invested in a lot of stuff um, I was doing. And I, 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 and that's how you get tired doing creative stuff. You want to be, like, invested in what you're working on. And inspired as well. And inspired, yeah. Totally. Because... You know, like I said, these are all good problems to have, like being called to play saxophone in a band. Like, that's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, so once, like, I had that realization, it became, like, extremely clear. Like, I need to make music. 
I've dabbled on like Ableton on the computer and like FL on the computer for like years before. Yeah, yeah. But like yeah. never like finished a song or anything. And it just became clearer and clearer and clearer. I have to create music. I have to release music. I have to like be an artist. You know what I mean? Because um, I wasn't interested in like, you know, studio sessions where like the music doesn't get released. Not mm-hmm. that every single thing you ever make has to get released on the internet. That doesn't make sense either. Yeah. But also I like I like sharing music with the world. Right. For me, I love sharing music. I used to love sharing other people's music with people. Yeah. I'm at a point now where I'm also sharing my own music with people, which mm-hmm. is like a huge important thing for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I just committed to that ever since I realized that I committed to that. And like I think like there's plenty of times where I'm like, Oh yeah, like no more gigs, like just writing and just producing and then like obviously like you a bunch of gigs you know what I mean? because like you know i'm very lucky like i've spent a lot of time in this city and i know a lot of people mm-hmm. so. yeah and if the phone's ringing it's hard to say no it's hard to say no why not like we're, we're having fun at the end of the day yeah and yeah. there's rent that needs to get paid rent needs to get paid so, you know like it, yeah, it, it, all, all yeah the, all the reasons why you should continue to play gigs and it's good because it's like Currently, it's, like, my only opportunity to, like, play saxophone, like, for, like, long periods of time. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, like I said, even though I play several instruments, like, that has been the main, you know, so. Mm-hmm. How do you, how are you balancing the, the identity mm. of being a sax player, but also an artist? I've had this conversation before, rarely, mm. mostly off mic, with people that have been known as a, as, a, as just, I don't want to say pigeonholed, but just being like, I'm a drummer. Okay, I'm a drummer, but I'm also doing other things now. Yeah. It's, and I'm always in between the identity of, oh, am I a drummer? Do I only promote myself as a drummer? Or do I promote myself now as with eights and all these other things? How have you been balancing even just the identity of being, of introducing yourself? Hey, I'm Tony Rosenberg. I'm a sax player. Or, hey, I'm Tony Rosenberg, I'm an artist. Or is it just in different circumstances, different circles? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's that's tricky. And I think I'm pretty committed to, like, artist, producer identity. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, unless, like, you know, I'm playing, like, some silly, like, jobber gig on my saxophone and they're talking about doing more gigs. Like, you know, it's like I'm not going to, like, <laughs> offer something that they don't want to them. But they're like, oh, can we do t- something else? It's like, yes, of course, we'll talk about being a saxophone player. Mm-hmm. That's like, I don't know why I'm talking so much about that. That's a small percentage. When I meet people, I, I, I identify as an artist. My yeah, good yeah. friends have maybe known me for years and years and years. They'll be like, oh, this is Tony. He's a saxophone player. But they introduce me to new people. Yeah. And then I'll divert the conversation slightly. <laughs> sure, you sure, know, sure, because, sure. and even like, um, like I made my website in June, which is like, you know, maybe it's important as a musician these days. I think it kind of still is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even say saxophone player on the website. Right. You know, there's a, there is a photo of me holding a saxophone. Subtle, like it's subtle because yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. A, it is a part of my identity. It's a part of what I love about music. But um, even like before I had those realizations I mentioned before of like what am I inspired by and what do I want to do, I think um, I think I always did see myself as more than a saxophone player. Like I saw myself as a musician, mm-hmm. and then I saw myself as more more than a musician. I saw myself as an artist. And I know like the music industry will say like, oh, instrumental music, like you're a producer. Or something like that. <laughs> sure, but that's sure. just like, you know. That's a whole thing. Like one who creates art. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, so, yeah, I see myself as an artist. And I try to, I try to, um, ident- like, explain that to people. And then, but obviously, like, if I'm talking to, like, a, a singer who wants 
you know, a band member or um, someone to, like, write in the studio with. Like, it's, like, they might need someone who can do the stuff on the DAW, right? I'm not going to say, oh, I'm also an artist. You know, it's just, <laughs> you know, just know, knowing how to navigate each conversation. But, yeah, in a social context, mm-hmm. I, I've, saxophone is, like, the third thing I mentioned. Yeah, or yeah. Or, like, yeah. Uh, maybe even lower. Yeah, yeah. You know? In in the the um, the transformation, or even just the realization of of going from more of a sax session player um, to an artist, as you've mentioned just uh, just now, how does the process, even just like your day to day or your week to week schedule, or even just how you 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 go about your day or go about your week, how has that changed between you know? even just being in school even mm. to now just, you know, making music, producing music. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. I, you know, if you asked me when I was like in grade 11 or 12, like, mm-hmm. why do you want to go into music? I don't want to sit on a computer all day. Yeah. yeah. Here we are now <laughs> sure, sitting on the computer. Sure. All day. sure. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But, uh, but it, it's just like spent on the computer either like, um, you know, either like sharing, uh, stuff I've made with, you know, various contacts or whatever they may be, like fellow creative people, more business people, mm-hmm. to like just like opening up the DAW and like playing around or like doing very serious tasks. But it's like very much like I'm here to like create music in the DAW. Right. Like it's uh, um, DAW or not, but I'm here to create music. I'm here to produce music. Yeah, I'm here yeah. to create something that wasn't here before. Right. That is like the daily driver. And then, yeah, obviously I'll record saxophone to my own music, but I, I don't approach the day-to-day as a saxophone player. Like, I had, I, I practiced, like, you know, I had, like, a minimum hourly requirement a day for many right. years on the saxophone, and then in school you're learning all this music for all these random reasons, sure, good sure. or bad or, or sure. indifferent. Um, but I, I don't have that anymore because I just try to soak up what's around me. Like, you yes. know, like, um, and you know, there's a lot of studying and inspiration to come from other things besides just sitting and creating. Mm-hmm. I'm also, like, way more mindful of, like, when I need to take a break because I'm now staring at a screen opposed to just, like, playing saxophone and stuff. Right. Um, but it is really, like, it's heavily imbalanced in favor of producing music. Right. Yeah, yeah in, in terms of, like, uh, being a saxophone player. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if there's a gig or whatever... Saxophone. Yeah, I'll yeah, still yeah. learn the music. I'll do yeah. whatever needs to be done. Totally. I have a written blurb here, and you talk about sort of your process. I have a little written paragraph here. I say, so for those who don't know, if you're listening, you probably don't know this because this is such a small amount of time, but Tony and I lived together for a bit during the pandemic, and uh, while we did, there was a lot of people coming in and out of the apartment to record some takes on some of your songs, uh, whether it be... It was like horn players, guitar players. Even at, at some point, I believe there was a double bass player in the, yeah, yeah. In the apartment. Um, it seems like, and still continuously as well, but it seems like you're a big collaborator when it comes to, to music. Um, where do you think that comes from? Does it come from being at Humber where you're, you're, you're constantly with other musicians that are playing instruments or is it more of like your, your producing style in, in regards to jazz where it, it's like, okay, I'm going to ask other people to play these instruments because it's more natural to them. Um, where does it come from for you? <laughs> Big question. Big question. I mean, that was a, f- that was a really, there's one f- like funny detail about that era, which is 
That was sort of like when people were allowed to socialize in the pandemic again. Yes. And yeah. people were actually like hitting me up being like, oh, like, do you want to jam? Like, can I play on some of your songs? Right. So there was like a bit of that happening, which right, was like right, really, right. Co- really cool. And like, you know, all those people were like, you know, I play on in their bands and we've gigged together and like continue to play together. So there was a bit of that happening. It was just like a funny moment in time where yeah. like we could like socialize indoors safely. Yeah. Um, and I think it comes from like definitely like, wanting to play with people and like that's a certain emotion and a feeling mm-hmm. that transfers into the recording opposed to just like playing everything yourself also like there were some instruments i don't play yeah you know, which is yeah. like like just filling out the song with instruments i don't play which is like really cool and like fun to you know produce a session musician because i had so much experience being directed by a musical director or a band leader or a producer now i get to um, communicate clearly. I know what these guys want to hear because I've had tons of experience not hearing good instructions. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so it was like really cool to like exercise that muscle and like uh, communicate effectively and like get good takes. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, obviously like being at Humber's like has to contribute to that because we're just around people all the time. Do you want to play this? Do you want to jam this? Do you want to try this? Yeah. But there's one thing I haven't mentioned yet, which is like um, I always think about. Like, it's less about, like, oh, I want this instrument on this song. Like, I want this violin or this trumpet. Like, these are instruments I do not play. Um, I'm more about, like, I want this person mm. in, my, in my group, you know? Yes. And, like, that's something that, like, Duke Ellington would talk about because, like, every person in his band was, like, a character, you right. know? And, like, had, like, a really strong, um, distinctive sound come through their instrument. And I think that is probably the ultimate driving factor. Like, I want this person's you know, contribution as a person. It doesn't even matter what instrument they play, mm. you know. Um, because, yeah, like, I can play keys in order to produce music, and sometimes, like, piano players will come in, and I could play, like, synth bass or, like, MIDI bass, um, but it's not the same as someone who I admire their taste and their sensibilities. And that's, like, the idea of a band, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I look at, you know, I mentioned, like, Duke Ellington, but I also think about, like, um, other people who... Maybe they're the band leader, but every member of their band is also like a really fantastic musician who then later started their own projects. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of, um, that's like my idealist, like, oh, I hope that that could be what happens, you know, yep. um, attitude. And I think I really just want these people, these people who are interested in what I'm mm-hmm. doing, they take me seriously. That was a huge thing, too. People approaching me and saying, like, you know, I, like, I want to hear what you're making. Um, we can socialize again. There was like a bit of that going on. So, oh, I'll bring my horn. Like, let's play. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, sure. Like, I made this. Like, there's space for for you to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's a wrap. Yeah, know? that's great. Yeah. And even like the last song I released on September sixth. Check it out, folks. Check it out. Um, two of the instruments that were played. Was were in those era was in that okay. era, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was probably the last of that era. All right, yeah. How does your now your process post pandemic now, and having the need to, maybe not the need, but the, the being like, oh, you want to come hang out? We'll get to socialize in this pandemic sort of vibe, yeah. And you'll we get to record. Like, how has your process now changed from then being being like, okay, let's hang and record? To now, to now, like has it has it has it changed? Are you are you still collaborating with 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 the same amount of people, less people, more people? What do you what's what's what has been the process recently? 
it's a bit different in a few ways. Like one, like I've become much faster. Yeah. And not that it's about speed, but it is just like faster for me to like get my ideas down. Yeah. And then also like everyone is busier, including myself. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the people that would come through um, who were like full time, like, you know, really solid or high profile gigs before the pandemic were busking during that time. We yes, lived together, yeah, you know, yeah. not that anything wrong with that but it's just a huge shift like you know what i mean their their schedule was like full to like zero we're gonna play on the street um so and now all those people are back playing high profile gigs again so um there's less of everyone being available right there's just there's just less of that Mm -hmm. and then also like um i um you know it's more like scheduled maybe like grant funded or whatever it is like some sort of budget for a project whether it's a project or a grant or something, it's just a bit more scheduled, a bit, like, I don't want to say, like, formal, because it's still, like, really chill and relaxing, and we're just making music at the end of the day, but it is a bit more, like, on this day, we're all going to meet, and we're all going to work on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because um, everyone is busy now, mm-hmm. you know, just as life should be. Yeah, yeah. just a clear schedule for however many years. Totally. Just going through the script now, mm. what are the expectations? Do you have any expectations for the next year? Like, what, what's, what's like, what are the goals? What are the dreams for the next little while for, for you? The next little while? Yeah. I want to, um, I've been releasing a single at a time right now. Mm-hmm. And I want to release, like, whether it is singles or more songs together, like something a bit more of a concept or a bit more of, like, a fluid, like, these songs all connect in a way. Even though I think there is a thread between each of my releases, something a bit more of a project. Because um, I haven't actually done that. And that's like, some, usually people do that first. Right. Um, if not for this streaming music business era, mm-hmm. really going back to the beginning. So I want to do stuff like that. Um, and I want to connect more with people and like place myself kind of like in you know, like a camp of artists or producers that I, like, align with. Right. You know, and I want to um, work on projects, if not my own, and it's other people's projects, like stuff I'm, like, invested in. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I hope to also, like, compose more for, like, other medias, like film and TV and ads and stuff and um, theater. And um, this is, all, like, a lot of stuff. But just, like, continue to do more what I'm doing, but just, like, refine it in the sense that it's targeted so it's, like in, like, I'm invested in it and... Uh, enjoy it like i haven't really i've been in like the studio bug like as long as you know we've been talking about music uh for the past several years and like live together and stuff and i'm still kind of am um it would be cool to travel it would be cool to tour um it would be way more than cool it would be like fantastic but i'm just like really in that like let's get in the room and like just be creative and like tinker and like just like try new things and cool and i think like with my music i want to like maybe like take more risks with it mm, yeah um you know I, I as i get um more fluent in like producing my own music i hear how maybe i would have like added something like really dirty to a certain sound selection right or like change the sound selection and yeah, just like yeah. taking more risks and we're back everybody it's the 39th episode of the cloud machine podcast i'm here with tony rosenberg we're talking about the sync industry. I know we've had multiple chats, um, just even like a, a a hang in the park or a hang at a at uh, Ronnie's. I think I remember yeah. last time. 
um, in Kensington. Um, just about like just the sink industry and 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 when your um, your journey through that. Um, but for those before we even begin, but for those who don't know what sink industry is, could you describe it sort of in a few words sentences? What 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 really is is that sort of share of the market or of the, of the music industry? Yeah, what what we're talking about when masses sync industry is licensing music to film, TV ads, or just other media. Yeah, licensing an existing song to that mm-hmm. and getting paid for that. So, what has been your like journey through that? Was it, do you, was it like something that you had your eye on, like when you when you started your artist project? Definitely, I think um, if you had asked me even when I was more focused on being a saxophone player and early on and not knowing what I wanted to do, I think I would have said, oh, I want to compose for a movie one day. Right. I think I would have said something just so grandiose like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you go through the motions, you learn about licensing existing music to media. And as I would watch TV or movies, I would find music I liked. And I thought that whole section of music discovery was really cool. Right. So... As an artist, I definitely, or as a producer, I definitely, yeah, do think about it and knew about it and knew it was something I wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something like I still put out music and explored it. It wasn't like I explored it to the point so I could have all my music licensed. It was like I still want to make music and I want people to listen to this. Yeah, yeah. And then simultaneously, I'm going to learn more about this and do what I can here as well. Mm-hmm. I remember some of our, our conversations early on that you wanted to sort of yes have your artist project, but also just compose for for licensing as well. Like how how has that sort of sort of balance between the both? Has it has your interest of syncing your music has it influenced your 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 creative process at all? Yeah, definitely. Like I think at one point I wouldn't have wanted to make music for licensing purposes. This is when it was very little was happening as an artist and I didn't really know much. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, I only want to do a custom score for a project. Right. But obviously you learn that, you know, whether those are hard gigs to get, you have to like get your foot in the door somehow, like show mm-hmm. people what you can do. And the best way to show people what you can do is create a bunch of stuff. Yes. So, yeah. um, so obviously I understood that pretty early on. And I think when it, and you ask about balancing it, yeah, it's hard to balance because they're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, the music I write for sync specific purposes is very different than my music. Sure. Like they're they're completely different. What 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 are some of the major differences that, that, that you that you think like when when let's say we stop recording all this stuff and we had this task of, of doing like a, an ad for this uh, I don't know this water bottle ad or something. How would you approach that differently from creating that to your own music? Like what are you looking for when you're creating something that could be potentially sunk or licensed? Sunk, yeah, yeah. licensed. <laughs> I like that sunk. I think, um, you know, if there's a reference, maybe like a water bottle ad or something, yeah. it's probably going to be like upbeat and flashy and like there's going to be like cool sound effects. And yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Um, it has to sound really current and, um, you know, new, like high quality, like clean sound selection and stuff. Yes, and I think yeah. for like, you know, producing and like as an artist, you know, dirty is cool, like distort, like subtle distortion or tape saturation or like running things through old gear is cool. You don't do any of that in sync. It's all like splice samples and like VST instruments. Sure, (laughs) if you have real instruments, you'll use them. But 
you know, Omnisphere and Keyscape is plenty. Yeah, you know, yeah, for yeah, sync, yeah. Like plenty, plenty, plenty. Um, so I think, and also it'll be, you know, the arrangement is very different. It's like, you know, maybe some sort of intro and then it's like one volume level and then it's huge and dynamic, you know, mm-hmm. little things like that. And if you watch, um, you know, TV or ads, you'll notice stuff like that. Well, you know, if you're making beats for artists or you're producing for an artist or if I'm making my own music, the dyna- there are dynamics, but it's not as drastic as, like, quiet loud. Yes, you know? yeah. And, and sync has a lot of that. Um, and I also think, like, genre-wise, like, I'm not going to make, like a, like, a chill instrumental music with, like, lots of moving parts for sync. Right. You know, I'd like to get that music licensed, and I, you know, I want that music I make to be licensed but it's different than when you're making something just for sync, not for streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, it's a lot of like trap beats, like club beats. Yes. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like yeah, different yeah. genres that I don't release on streaming, mm-hmm. but I can still make. Yeah. What are some of the some of the obstacles that one could have when when when, when creating stuff for for, for for sync or to license? Probably I'd say um sound selection as, yeah, a, yeah, as yeah. a producer like yeah. you have to have like really strong up to date like current sounding I'm trying to think of another adjective but yeah just like stuff that sounds like clean and new mm-hmm. I'd say yeah, for, like yeah, for like the more like library music and generic music and when I say library generic I'm talking about when people who choose music for these me- for these types of media they go through like long lists of music yes yeah. Um, so that's what I say library or generic like not in a negative connotation um but they're actually pulled out of a library of a library of a list of yeah. like hundreds sometimes even yeah. thousands of and they sounds. sound generic yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so <laughs> yeah, like yeah. but it's like it is what it is it's supposed to sound generic just underneath someone talking you know that's right so it's like there's no like saxophone main melody you know <laughs> right, or you're not like ripping. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so obstacles yeah probably like sound selection and also um like meeting like meeting people and like getting your foot in the door like a lot of a lot of these people, they don't need more music. There's yeah. so much already out there. Yeah, yeah. You know? How would one, like, um, sort of make their catalog more unique or, like, stand out in this list, you say, library of, of, of sounds of these, 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 um, these people that are, when they're picking music for an ad yeah. or for a film or something even, how does one make their 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 piece stand out yeah totally and like the people who the people who choose music um are called music supervisors yes yes, and like knowing like what kind of thing you're creating for is really cool and really important i think like for me some sync agents i'm dropping a lot of like lingo here but people who just kind of like broker a deal between the supervisor and the artist you know they know what kind of music i make and what i have on streaming and um they might not have many other artists who make that kind of music that they know. Mm-hmm. So they come to me because they know I can play instruments. They know I know string players. They know I know live instruments. Yeah. And they know I can do stuff like that if I have a timeline or a budget. Um, but then to get in your foot in the door, you still might have to show them stuff that could work in like a sports scene or reality music, right. a reality TV <laughs> right. show scene, because you can't just show them like your chill instrumental music off the bat because they might not know. But that being said... You know, people who sync agencies and music supervisors and all these people who choose music for a reality show where I, we're using the word library and gener- generic, 
they're using stuff to get from scene to scene. And you got to know like what little sounds go from scene to scene that kind of make the uh, show or the visual media like flow better. But with, um, but with other things like certain ads, Apple is a good example. HBO is a great example. They're looking for different stuff. Right. They don't want something that sounds like TV music. Yes. They want like cool new music that hasn't been licensed yet. Right. You know? I was going to ask, do you have any like tips for people that are interested in doing that? Just, just overall, just randomly, a uh, uh, question I have here. Just, just tips for people who want to get into the sync sort of world, um, or just artists that are like, well, could be good to make some cash on the side with sure. some of the stuff that that they've already already produced. Rather, yeah, like I mean, a lot of artists and producers probably have a lot of music on a hard drive, just sitting there doing nothing. Mm, yeah, and there is a there's a hard there's a high chance that a lot of that music can be, like, reformatted for sync licensing purposes. So I would definitely, like, drop that little tidbit and say, like, start thinking about that. I'd say, you know, if you're an artist and you have a lot of music out, like, maybe, like, country or something, like a genre that I don't know much about, um, from, like, a commercial perspective, like, perhaps, like, see if there's any agencies that need more of that or if there's any um, supervisors who like that or if there's any way you could, like, reformat your music for sync purposes mm-hmm. and then if you just want to like get into it kind of like from scratch maybe you could make music on the computer maybe you can't you know maybe like just consider like finding someone who can show you how to do it because like i said you're going to get a lot of no responses um and no feedback mm-hmm. and like for me like i benefited from like finding people who could do it and then like you know picking yeah you know, asking questions and picking their brain all that yeah yeah, yeah. everybody we're back Tony Rosenberg, again, 39th episode, still the 39th episode. We're back with the Producers Game. For those who don't know what the Producers Game is, is uh, I give a chance to the guest, uh, sorry, I, I give our guest a chance to um, talk about their dream album, if they could executive produce uh, uh, an album. Uh, so today Tony has to tell me what his dream album is, who the artist would be, who the producers would be, the band on the record, the studio, the city. So the studio could be in a different city, like uh, Abbey Road in New York. Um, the era of the record, like when it would be. Uh, the budget, and for Tony, I'm doing theme or story. What's the story around the record? Um, so, Tony, please, let, 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 let's go through this together here. Um, I, normally, I have uh, our guests take notes, but we're going to go through it together here. Who would be the artist on? Who who would be the artist on the record? I think I'd want to do um, like Marvin Gaye or like Stevie Wonder, like you know, some sort of like Motown kind of hot like compilation of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah compilation yeah. Of Motown. Could he be both? It could be both. <laughs> it yeah, could be let's both. Do both. There you go. Let's do both. Okay, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye. Who would be producing the record? I'd want like new or modern day producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, someone that I was thinking would be cool would be D Mile, who produced like the Silk Sonic stuff. Yes, produced for her. Um, you know, like Lucky Day, and like has a crazy catalog. Um, and I'd get, uh, but I'd also want like you know Dr. Dre and like Rick Rubin and just like this like <laughs> ridiculous list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of uh, of people like that, like throw Pharrell and Timbaland in there. Amazing. Yeah, Quincy. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. I think I want like know today's producers right 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 yeah right, yeah right because like people are flipping 
old hits and making mm. like R&B songs with them. Yes, yeah. But now it's like just like make something. With, yes. Like, those singers and like the OGs. You know I mean? Maybe Quincy on the strings, on the string arrangements. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who would be the band on the record? This is a big. This is a big one. A big question, I guess. That's crazy. Just maybe name naming a couple people. Maybe, maybe like, not every every member. Yeah, of the yeah. Band, like but... Kareem Riggins and like <laughs> okay. Terrace Martin and like all these cool yeah. guys. Um, yeah, like Thundercat and like Kamasi Wash, like that band, that dinner party band, yes, like Ninth yeah. Wonder, and like, yeah, 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 maybe yeah. like that dinner party band. <laughs> Six, We're getting ridiculous right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What? Uh, which studio would you want to do this? Uh, this record at? Man, like, like Capitol Records or something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Let's say Capitol Records. Okay. Like, yeah, so yeah. an LA studio. LA studio. In what city would you want to bring uh, the Capitol Records to? I'd want to put it somewhere like really remote, like a villa in like a like a like a cherry field or like an apricot field or like just like <laughs> some like just beautiful remote off the beaten path. Amazing. Where you're also just like surrounded by like like almost like like song camp vibes where you just have to like write and create. There's nothing to do. Or like helicoptering the session musicians, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the string players in. Like it just makes no sense. That's great. Yeah. Um what what era? You said you said it would be now, right? Oh yeah. The era of the record. I want like now production. Yes. But I want like seventies like Stevie and Marvin. Yes. <laughs> it's great. But when would we yeah. like what would be the date on, on the record? Like in what year would you want to produce this record? <laughs> what year? Yeah. I guess like like twenty seventy five. Okay. Just okay, like just okay. like okay. thrown in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, um, like some Futurama vibes, like the year three thousand or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Budget? Budget? Like just absurd. Absurd. Like, yeah, yeah, just yeah. like just like two million dollars. <laughs> if we're heli- <laughs> if we're helicoptering the crew in, yeah, yeah. It's gotta be uh it's gotta be big. Yeah. Um and what's the story? What's the like with some themes that are thrown or getting thrown around the record? I think like um Still just, like, you know, love songs, like Detroit, um, still that, yeah, like that Detroit, uh, like Motown, like, you know, expression of all these, like, love songs. And then also, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, the problems of the world today, like that, like, you know, Marvin Gaye talks about. And, yeah. Um, and, uh, and just, like, combining that the way, they, the way they do naturally. They're both such good songwriters, mm-hmm. you know. And they're both such good producers as well, like. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that I listed both of them. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, it's great. Cool, man. That's that's how we uh, conclude the app. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Matt Landry. (laughs) Absolute pleasure. Of course. Um, It was so insightful to sort of get to talk about even how you're feeling in the in the business uh, side of things, the sync industry, of course. Just your 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 uh, the the transition between. The sax sort of, maybe it's not an identity, but it's how the, the what you were concentrating on beforehand, and now as 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 more of a of an artist producing your own uh, own music. Please, everybody, go check out Tony's stuff uh, on Spotify, Apple Music, where wherever you can get your music. Yep, yep. Um, and um, yeah, again, thanks for listening. Um, we'll be on next week. Can please continue on interacting on socials. It's at eights community for the podcast and ads create at eights creative for everything uh pro uh that we're doing here at eights um thanks again everybody see you next next week and stay 
safe.